Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning again. Uh, I was I was a little overcome yesterday. I'm not I'm not overwhelmed, but I sometimes am overcome. And I was overcome yesterday by the stillness. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is actually more quiet than it has been in a really long time. There's literally like less noise, less movement, and I was I was overcome yesterday by the stillness. I um. I was standing on the edge of our lower field. We were um, overseeding it with clover, um, and so you have to, you know, you have to walk and spread the seed. It takes a long time, and so I was just standing on the edge of the lower field. It's, it is already verdant. It is speckled with these tiny little purple and white flowers over which I was rejoicing, which my husband Jim says are nothing but weeds, but they're beautiful nonetheless. The wind was not blowing, and the clouds were moving obviously silently, but also very slowly, very slowly through the sky above. Um, Sort of in the spirit of the Christmas poem, not a creature was stirring. There was no movement. I mean, there, um, there may have been birds singing, but I don't even recall that. I simply recall being overcome by how still things were. So nothing was moving in my range of vision or my field of vision. And this word settled in heavy upon me, this word, still. And it was not just a word describing the scene in front of me. It felt like an invitation or a command to my heart and to my mind and to my spirit. Still. Be still. Settle down. Calm your breathing. Be anxious for nothing. God's got this. Be still. Psalm 4610. um, I loved what Michael Carr just said a minute ago about, you know, we are in the word, but then obviously the word is in us. And so the word within me, Psalm 4610, was drawn forth. It filled me as if I were hearing it. Uh, and receiving it deeply. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that God is still God. God is still great. God is still good. God is still love. God is still on the throne. God still has the whole world in his hands. God is still working out his purposes in human history. And in the midst of all that you and I are going to deal with today, God is still. Yes, moving and active, but still God. So let us be still and know today that God is still 
God. We'll be right back. All right, we didn't start the fire, but it has been burning a long time. Drew Griffin is back. I used to introduce him in all kinds of fancy ways. Now I am just going to introduce him as coronavirus survivor at DG underscore NYC. Drew, welcome back. Hey, good morning, Carmen. How are you? Okay, you sound great. Let me let me just you know, start I, with that. You sound great. Yeah, no, yeah, no. I feel uh, much better, much better than I did a week ago. That's for sure. Okay, so we don't. Um, I'm going to ask you all the questions today that everybody across the country has been wanting to ask a person who has been diagnosed with the coronavirus <laughs> because none of us feel like we have. Even though we may know some people who've been diagnosed, like I actually know two high school students now who've been diagnosed here in my own community, um, but I would never call them up and ask them these questions. But you um, are my willing friend. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. No, yeah, okay. ask away. Okay, so let's just go back in time. Um, what What did things feel like when it started? And then just what was your experience like? Sure. Um, yeah, I was in Washington, D.C. Um, about uh, two weeks ago, and I, uh, on my way back about 10 days ago from Washington, D.C., I noticed that I had a little tickle in my throat, even though I had been social distancing to a certain extent, not so much as we are all now, because uh, it wasn't as quite the um, uh, trumpeted idea. Um, uh, two weeks ago, I, I noticed it had a little tickle in my throat on Saturday. Uh, a week ago, Sunday, by Sunday afternoon, I was in bed with a high fever and uh, real kind of body aches. Uh, I didn't have a cough. I didn't have, you know, like a runny nose or anything like that. I was just in bed with a fever. That lasted for about three days. And I then um, – uh, the fever broke, thankfully, uh, but still felt my entire body kind of felt like I'd been hit by a uh, by a, a train or something. It was just a, a really uh, weak. And I developed at that point a dry cough uh, where I um, wasn't expecting anything or nothing was kind of coming up. But I just I had this cough, this kind of tickle in my throat. I lost my sense of taste and smell. Um, which at the time I didn't understand, but it's, it's come out, um, uh, through New York times and, anecdotally in a number of different articles that apparently, uh, one of the odd side effects of the coronavirus is that, uh, you lose the, your ability or many people lose their ability to taste and smell. Um, and so it's been kind of just a slow slog of trying to kind of get, over the cough and uh, uh, there's nothing you can take. I have to just take Tylenol for, you know, fever and, and uh, coughing, that kind of thing. And just uh, isolate myself, even from my own family. Like I slept in a separate room. Uh, we live in New York city and Manhattan in a, an apartment, which is not tiny, but for most of your listeners who live in homes with you know, yards and stuff would be tiny. Um, so I was in a, a I tried to separate, separate myself in a separate room. Um, it's been really difficult and isolating in a sense that, um, uh, especially when I was very sick, I, I wouldn't hug my wife or daughter or get really close to them. Uh, and I kind of existed in a Lysol bubble <laughs> of, of disinfectant, uh, following me around, um, because there's really nowhere 
you know, for us to go in a thousand square foot apartment. And uh, thankfully, thank God, they're both healthy. They don't show any signs of any uh, kind of illness. And so uh, just avoiding other people and uh, trying to uh, stay healthy at this point. All right. Again, I'm talking with Drew Griffin. You can follow him on Twitter at DG underscore NYC. Um, He is in Manhattan. Um, Drew, we are, you know, for those of us who don't live in an urban center um, and New York is unique. It's always unique, but it's especially unique right now. Um, Talk with us about life in the city. Um, Talk with us about what what you are seeing out your window what you're hearing from your neighbors and others. Um, just help us understand um, just what life is like right now in, in New York City. What's really interesting, um, the, uh, you know, a lot of people, the perceptions that you have in large cities and in, in cities like New York is that everything is really impersonal. Uh, you know, if you if you visit here ever, uh, you know, you're often uh, people who aren't from here uh, walk around and can think, oh, people are rude and no one seems to talk to anybody. And it doesn't seem like there's much of a sense of community. There's just millions of people everywhere. and They're all kind of bumping into one another. Um, but really, when out in the city, um, even in our dense little Manhattan neighborhood, it still very much is a, a community. It's a neighborhood. You know people. You know your grocer. You know your your launder laundromat person. I mean, you know um, the coffee shop, the Starbucks baristas. I mean, you know you know your people. It's a community, and um, it's it, we are on this island in the city. Um, still very, you know, uh, acclimated to being around other people and, and getting to see other people. And when that's kind of taken away from us, it's a really uh, odd feeling. Um, you know, we none of us have cars. We all use public transportation, uh, except now. None of us, uh, you know, no one's using the buses. No one's really on the subways. And it's, it's, um, it's kind of disconcerting. It's isolating. It feels lonely. Um, you kind of, you have to, you know, FaceTime with friends or, or call friends or loved ones to kind of talk to them and have some kind of human interaction. And so, um, it really reminds us, I think, and I've thought a lot about this, uh, just in general, just that, you know, we're created, uh, in the image of God and we're created to be communal creatures. God is in community with himself uh, and the person of the Trinity we're created in his image. There's, there's a, a communal aspect to who we are. The one thing and before the fall that wasn't good was that it wasn't good for man to be alone. I mean, it's just part of uh, who we are. So it's, it's a very, that's the most, I think, difficult part of this, um, aside from having sympathy for people who are um, undergoing illness and and are, are sick or maybe battling for their lives, is just to um, kind of experience uh, that loss of community and trying to find that in whatever ways uh, you can through technology. I'm going to continue my conversation with Drew Griffin in just a moment. You can follow him on Twitter at DG underscore NYC. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Drew Griffin, um, who I now refer to as coronavirus survivor probably have other nice <laughs> things to say about you <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd hope so friend no I don't know. right Some, friend, something. yeah person of common concern about world events bringing the gospel to bear in our conversations of the day all of these sure. things are things drew is really really good at um 
Let's um, let's uh, sort of complete the conversation about your experience with this virus. What are doctors telling you to expect going forward? Um, what what, if any, um, will the sort of lingering um, effects of this be? Well, I mean, uh, there everyone's really optimistic. I mean, I'm I'm young and I'm healthy. I'm um, I say I'm young. You know, I'm I consider myself young, under forty. Um, and so, uh, I'm healthy. I don't have an, a compromised immune system. <clears throat> and so, there's uh, I'm thankfully not in what is called kind of a high risk, you know, category. There's every indication that I will. Uh, my immune system is fighting this off, has fought it off, and and I will be fine. And uh, uh, <clears throat> I mean, part of it they they can't predict too far out because this is a this is a new uh, mm-hmm. thing for everybody. It's a novel virus, and so uh, the next uh, six months, the next year is going to be a massive uh, learning curve for the entire medical community, as they say, just as they're learning how people and, and bodies kind of. Uh, um, uh, come back from this. Uh, so they're optimistic. I'm optimistic and I'm thankful that, uh, um, no one else in my immediate proximity seems to have caught anything from me. And so, um, uh, so yeah, we're, we're optimistic at this point. That's awesome. We'll be optimistic with you also to continue to pray for you and, um, and your family and the community that you're a part of. As yeah, you, you, yeah, absolutely. As you survey the headlines, um, what catches your attention? What worries you most right now? Sure. Now, I think um, what really worries me and, and kind of has since uh, the beginning of this is just mis- misinformation. Um, you know, well, I uh, when I kind of put it out there that, hey, I'm sick, I've, I've got this thing, uh, I got no shortage of messages, you know, from friends or family members or acquaintances on on through social media of every possible cure, every possible um, kind of wives tale of, you know, I was supposed to put Neosporin on the inside of my nose. I was supposed to gargle with salt water. I was supposed to do all of these <laughs> things, um, that, you know, people had heard anecdotally from their friend who has a neighbor who was a doctor and worked, you know, in a hospital once or something. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of that is, uh, it's anecdotal and it's not accurate. And so my main source was just the CDC, uh, Centers for Disease Control, cdc.gov. Um, I kept checking that and obviously talking to doctors. Uh, but, um, you know, I think misinformation, I think, is is the greatest concern that I have. It's I think we need to seek out um, expert advice from people who actually know uh, what they're talking about, whether that's your own doctor that you're having a conversation with um, and uh, it, even what your doctor prescribes for you or what your doctor suggests for you may not be uh, something that's good for someone else. They, they tailor um, their you know remedies based off of the individual. Um, and so if you got questions, talk to your doctor. If you have questions, go to cdc.gov and, you know, try and limit the, the sharing of just random weird forwarded emails to you, uh, that have this cure or that cure. Cause as we've seen in the news, just even in the last day or two, people who are taking like uh, hydrochloroquine and, and other drugs that ha- are out there and people know the name of are actually now in the hospital either dying or having serious complications from taking that uh, because it's a pretty heavy duty drug um, and has not been proven as or uh, recommended as a, a drug for this uh, coronavirus. So I think misinformation just 
get your information from the right place, talk to your doctor, go to cdc.gov and try and avoid sharing um, uh, stuff that could actually be harmful uh, to people. You have uh, traveled a fair amount around the world and you have been um, in contact with and in community with um, people around the world. Are there are there particular places where when you think about your own experience and you think about what we have available here in the United States in terms of the resources we can bring to bear upon this, even if people are hoarding things they need not be hoarding. But here in the United States, like we we have some power to bring uh, to bear on this topic. When you think about the rest of the world, are there places where you're just heart springs out of your chest right now when I say that and you think, how are those people going to cope? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I have read the headlines here in the United States about different quote unquote shortages or runs on, you know, grocery stores. And, uh, you know, I we live in one of the densest zip codes in America. There's you know, millions of people around us. Uh, and yet we have still have access to food. It is we're not in anywhere some sort of kind of truly, um, you know, disaster level um uh, run on food or, or anything like that. Whereas um, places that I've been in times where there hasn't been a global pandemic, places like India, um, that uh, there 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 were places in India where um, uh, or the Middle East that if you uh, you know if you're sick you stay at home and it would be probably more dangerous for you to try and go to the hospital because the hospitals are. Um, a uh, hotbed of, of infection. And uh, it's they are places with not a lot of information, not a lot of infrastructure. Um, and so they are particularly susceptible to uh, misinformation and to these viruses striking with really no uh, opportunity or chance for people to isolate themselves or seek get medical attention or have access to ventilators and where there are true shortages in terms of goods and and food so my my hope is is that the United States as as we kind of uh, grapple through this begins to look outward and uh, begins to see the the abundant resources that we have and uses this as an opportunity to share some of those resources uh, to countries that truly, truly are um, going to be struggling and are um, uh, you know going to face a lot of ancillary effects uh, from starvation or from uh, lack of um, access to medical uh, care. And so that's um, that's kind of my hope at this point. Yeah, me too. I share that. I share that concern and I share that hope as well. Drew, thank you so much. Um, delightful to talk with you again. Um, may yeah. the Lord continue to uh, restore you physically and we look forward to uh, catching up with you in the future. Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate it. Take care. Stay safe. Blessings, brother. We'll be right back. been talking from time to time about the challenges in terms of relationships between men and women. Um, We have talked about Me Too. We have talked about Church Too. Today, we're going to talk about Better Together, how women and men can actually heal the divide and work together to transform the future. That is the name of Danielle Strickland's new book, Better Together. And she's going to be here next to talk with us about 
Well, the better story that's actually the old, old story that's actually the first story about men and women together and how that's better. We'll be right back. Everything is being canceled. The NBA games, the NHL games, March Madness, Broadway plays, flights, cruises, cancellations everywhere. But can I tell you the one thing that has not and will not be canceled? God will never cancel His promise to take care of us. Do not interpret the presence of problems as the absence of God. God has promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He is with us. He is for us. He offers us peace in the face of uncertainty and hope in exchange for heaviness. The question of this crisis is simply this. What is God saying to us? Among the answers must be this promise from Matthew 11 and verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Turn to him today. Sometimes we wonder, like, you know, is there a good idea out there? And if there's a good idea, um, then how do we know, like, if it's the time for that good idea? Like, has the time for my good idea come? Well, let me just go ahead and say that the gospel is a really good idea all the time. And I would say that right now uh, is the time for the gospel. So if you're a gospel-oriented person, you have already a better idea than the culture has. And we want you to be um, confident and beautiful in the way that you are sharing that with others. Joining me now, Danielle Strickland. She is, among other things, the author of Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. I think I would like to just introduce her as a person who's got a really good idea whose time has come. Danielle, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thanks, Carmen. Great to be with you. Well, it's a joy to have you. Um, so, you know, in this time of social isolation, um, and we're kind of at a weird time, people aren't at work together, we're not at church together, it actually seems like a really healthy time to step back and have this conversation about our relationships, about the relationships of men and women, about um, sort of the hair on fire conversations we've been having in all of those environments about men and women, and to figure out now in this sort of stillness if we could tell a better story. So talk with us about this moment that we're in culturally in terms of, of the relationships between men and women, and then the better story we can be telling. Yeah, that's a fantastic uh, suggestion. And I think for me, one of the things that this virus has uh, helped us sort of all comprehend is how interconnected we actually are as humans. And I think that's the the, the big dream of Better Together is that we were designed, you know, by a creator uh, to represent God well on the earth. And that was through interconnection and uh, relationships that were honoring to one another. And uh, so, again, just with the season that we have re- with us right now, even though it's, uh, you know, in so many ways crazy, at the same time, there's an opportunity in it for us to reflect on what kind of humans we want to be. And I think how men and women treat each other is at the heart of how humanity treats each other. I call it the deepest wound. Uh, of humanity, because uh, after, you know, the fall happened in Genesis, the first thing that broke was our relationship. 
second thing that broke was our relationship with each other uh, as men and women. So I think it's a deep wound. And that's what makes it so difficult to actually process and deal with is because it's such a deeply uh, wounding thing. But you're right. This is an opportune time for us to actually have some reflection around how our interconnectedness and the way that humans work with each other matters. So this is um, not just a book. It's also a Bible study, and there's uh, a curriculum component to it as well. Talk with us a little bit about this Better Together project so that people can kind of get their hearts and minds around what we're talking about, and then we'll move into the content. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, for me, what happened was I was asked to speak at a conference, a leadership conference that was uh, rife with with uh, Me Too movement, harassment charges, and things of the, the, the key leader. And um, I really felt, I really sensed like God was saying, like, we need to speak into this issue. We need to speak about how we get along and how we actually collaborate. Besides just kind of like treat each other better, actually collaborate together. And uh, it was just filled with, um, oh, wow, like people, tension. And, uh, you know, people were calling and saying, you can't do it. How can you speak on a stage built with misogyny? And other people were calling saying, you have to do it. And I mean, it was just, it was filled with all this tension. And I just realized that this one decision that I was making as a woman speaking into this issue publicly was filled with this much struggle. How much is every day filled in this issue with it for everybody? And so I just did a deep dive into why this is so problematic and why everyone's so paralyzed right now to talk into it, to speak into it, why we're all so, and I feel like fear is a great currency of oppression. So wherever you feel that kind of fear, usually it's a really good thing to look into it because there's something going on here that needs to be undone. And that was really the genesis for the book. I really felt like there was a moment God wanted to speak to us, a tipping point in history when it comes to men and women relating together that we're in right now. I'm talking with uh, so Danielle Strickland. To speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm talking with Danielle Strickland about her new book um, and Bible study, Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. We're going to take our break um, here a little bit early so that we can reconnect with Danielle and hopefully get a little better connection with her so we don't miss anything that she is sharing with us. So we'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Danielle Strickland, you can find her online at daniellestrickland.com. The book we're talking about today, Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. Um, Danielle, um, we talk about this deep wound. You know, it's a, it, it goes all the way back to the garden. Um, but we have uh, sowed the seeds of of this in many, many ways in our culture, through many um, accusations, through through the ways in which we have allowed ourselves to think about one another and then to speak about one another and then to treat one another. Like these are these are um, well-worn grooves in terms of our relationships um, and even in sort of the the way our culture functions. Talk about talk about how we do better than we're doing now. Yeah, you know, this is such a fantastic uh, question because what I realized as I wrote this book, I realized that at the very center of this conversation is the ministry of reconciliation, Mm. uh, which is how Paul puts the gospel. So 
you know, in, in in this cultural moment where people feel this so profoundly and so personally, I mean, it really impacts every area, every work, every social, you know, one the first chapter of this book, I make a case for, you know, equity, which is women's not only empowerment, but also like their ability to use their empowerment for the world. Uh, mattering so intensely, like economically, it would add $11 trillion to the global economy if women around the world experienced equity. Um, And then also like in relationships and in world poverty, you know, the UN says that if you want to end world poverty, one of the best ways to do it is by uh, seeing women flourish in communities. It's really fascinating. And then even when it comes to uh, the World Bank, I mean, everybody is suggesting that getting this relationship on a, on a collaborative uh, a place would be a game changer for the way that we see the world. So uh, when I, I figured, I, when I was trying to write this, I was trying to write, like, how do we do this? Because like you said, this is like well-grooved, like these are things that we've learned. And even the way we view each other uh, is distorted in so many ways by real pain, real things that have happened, and uh, and then even by perceived pain and the perception of this happening. Uh, one in four uh, girls, that's really conservative, that's American number, one in four girls, one in three in Canada here actually, uh, will be sexually harassed in her lifetime. That's just a stat. So one in three girls, when you see them, have the potential to be harassed in their lifetime. So it's it's not even a perceived threat. It's a real threat that women deal with on a regular basis and girls. Uh, and so what do we do about that? The only solution I could come up with was the cross. You know, that Jesus is the only, the cross specifically is the only place where victims can go to get freedom, to get forgiveness, to get somebody to identify with their suffering, to turn their suffering into something redemptive. And the cross is the only place to go for perpetrators, for people who have guilt on their hands, who people have done some wrong things and need to not have that as the final word of their life, but have a potential to move forward. Uh, And that really is at the center of this book, that the cross is the good news of this generation, specifically in this area. So, Danielle, a couple of additional um, conversations that I want to have. One of them is about pornography. Um, and then the other conversation is a conversation about power. And so pick whichever one you want to dive into first. But I think they're both really significant um, in the, in this larger conversation about who we are, how we treat one another, and how men and women uh, who are Christians in particular need to be modeling what it looks like to be not only reconciled to God, but reconciled to one another. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Those two are deeply connected. And I think that's been one of the misunderstandings of uh, porn, actually, is that it's just sort of a sexual appetite conversation, uh, when really the stark reality of pornography and its effect on our culture uh, is the way we view each other. Um, And so, you know, over 60% of men, 66% of men, uh, admit to viewing porn once a week. Uh, and that, the you know, one of the fastest growing numbers of porn addicts, uh, which is really, really frightening, are, are millennial girls, are women. And so you just start thinking the narrative of pornography. Now, do I think porn is bad in general? Yes. Do I think porn's unhelpful sexually? Absolutely. I think all of those things are correct. But one of the most damaging parts of porn in our culture, once you start connecting the dots between the statistics of harassment and abuse and our, our disconnection with, from one another, is a, a result of pornography view. Uh, the reason is because, of course, as we view pornography, the narrative of pornography is one of dominant dominating. It's it's one of conquest. And the narrative for women as they view pornography is that they like that, they want that. 
And so it distorts the way that we view each other. It literally is objectification. It's objectifying one another. And when, as soon as you objectify one another, you've separated us from each other. That's what happens. You just literally begin to separate us from the humanity of each other and then also of uh, what we're doing with one another. Now, I never really realized how oppressive porn was and how oppressive it's designed to be until I actually started looking through the justice implications of pornography in relationships. And once you start looking at that, I think as a Christian, I've always thought of the morality of pornography as not a good idea. You know, um, and I think a, a, a lot of times that's what we say as Christians is the reason. I think it's a good reason, but I just think it's even there are more reasons than that. And justice uh, demands us to really have a look at what pornography is doing to our relationships. When a dominant narrative is objectifying and actually one of conquest, then that's how the brain literally changes itself to review how we view each other. Uh, and this is what's happening in pornography. And it's something that we need to really fight. And the, one of the only ways I think that we can learn to fight pornography is to start speaking about its power and uh, so that we can disarm it and actually get some help and be truthful about what's going on in our culture and in our own lives. So prevalent, so damaging. Um, absolutely creates this disconnect um, in, in not only sexual relationships, but in working relationships. Like porn gets into heads and hearts in ways that turns everybody of the opposite sex into this uh, objective, I mean, literally objectified, as you have pointed out. How does that affect not just, I mean, I think we I think we have talked some culturally and certainly in Christian circles about how porn affects, you know, the bedroom and the relationships that we have um, with one another in that context. I don't know that we have talked much about the effect that porn has in the boardroom um, and in our working relationships. Yeah. So when you think about it, objectification is the exact opposite of mutuality. And mutuality is what is required for us to live interconnected lives where we honor each other. So mutuality is to say that if you're doing well, then I'm doing well. And if you're not doing well, then I'm not doing well. And that's, you know, this situation we're in right now in the world. Surely we're understanding mutuality better than ever before. But pornography is the opposite of that. So it's looking to take something. It's looking to, to get something. And it changes our brain chemistry while it objectifies one another. And one of the things about pornography is that viewers of porn are not passive, even though that's what you know everybody likes to tell themselves. It's not a passive thing. They're actively learning that uh, people, men and women, are not people but objects. Okay, so that's what's actually happening. So I think that the numbers are pretty conservative because not everybody is actually reporting honestly. But I, I think I said 65. It's 68% of men admit to using porn at least once a week in our culture. So that's a dominant way that we see each other where uh, relationships cannot thrive because how we see each other. And, and one of the problems with get looking into this topic of conversation is you don't really want to because it's kind of a sickening conversation. But all of the different pornography narratives that happen when people are viewing porn, they, they happen at work. They happen uh, with the post, but they happen in real day, everyday things. It's not like they're like in outer space and something's going on that's outside of themselves, but they're happening in real life scenarios all the time. And uh, the sexualized, the sexual objectification of one another is one of our chief enemies when it comes to relating to each other without fear uh, and without a twisted uh, sense of objectification. 
So I don't really want to lead people to believe that this book is all about this topic, right? Because it's not. This book and this Bible study, um, Better Together, are really about um, how we see the world and everything in it um, in a hope-filled gospel way, um, and then how we replace those root beliefs that we have about um, about who we are and who the other is and how we're supposed to function together, and then how we transition to thriving. So let's uh, let's cast the vision of hope before people um, uh, today. And again, this is Danielle Strickland. You can find her online at daniellestrickland.com. There's a D at the end of uh, of her name. Um, so Danielle, cast the the possible positive vision in front of us. Yeah, the positive vision is that we were designed to flourish together. So one of the greatest, uh, you know, understated realities in Genesis is when God was in creative mode. And uh, there's only one time where he stops and says, no, no, this isn't right. I don't have it right. And I don't have it complete, you know, and it says this, this isn't this isn't right. And he stops. And the one time that he does it is when he created man to lead by himself. And then God just stops the project. He says, no, 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 this isn't right. And then he creates woman to lead with men together to collaborate and to steward the world. And when he does that, that project, uh, he actually uses in Hebrew, the double good, good, uh, or in English, it says very good, but really what it means is good, good, good times two. <laughs> and, uh, and there is this vision, this pinnacle of creation, good, good. This is like the, when God speaks you know, good twice over creation. This is what it means for him to be represented well, is to be represented in relationship that's mutual and thriving. And this is the vision that God has for the world because he wanted to actually reveal himself through the way that humans led. And so I always say, how would you like to reveal God to the world? Because actually the world is desperate to know some answers to some really deep problems. And we actually have those answers. In the person of Jesus, there's a restoration project uh, that's been underway to actually reverse the effects of the curse so we don't have to live anymore modeling sin or the fall or bad news. We can live a different way. We can model something beautiful, something good, good to the world that will reflect the nature of God. I just love that. Um, Danielle Strickland, thank you so much. She's the author of Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. You can find everything you need at her website, daniellestrickland.com. Danielle, thank you so much for being with us on Mornings with Carmen. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's a joy. Absolutely. What a joy. We'll be right back. Okay, so what's your view of things today? And does your view need to be reviewed according to the worldview of the gospel? So what's your story? Where is Jesus in that story? And if Jesus isn't the main character and the gospel isn't providing the narrative arc of your day, of your life, of the story that you're living and telling to others, then maybe today is a great day to review your worldview. Hmm. What might that look like? Well, let's bring uh, God's design and the gospel into view as we review um, the way that we see things, the way that we see others, the way that we see world events. And and let's allow the Holy Spirit to work within us. Like, right, let's cooperate with the active work of the Holy Spirit, which is going on right now in the hearts and minds of believers, to bring us into ever, ever greater conformity with how Christ sees things, right? Let's develop the mind of Christ on the matters of the day. That is my hope. So we do have, we don't just have a better story, we actually have the best story. We have 
the gospel story. And we live in a moment when the world is literally waiting at home to hear it. And so let Jesus be the main character of the story that you are telling others today. See the world through his eyes. Um, Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.